Welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads, a podcast all about beer from a West Virginia perspective. I'm Aaron McCoy here with my podcast partner, Charles Bakway. Thank you, Aaron. It's always a good beer day here in Charleston, West Virginia, especially when you're visiting a brewery tap room like we are today. That's right. Today on West Virginia Beer Roads, we're going to be having a more informal conversation about a lot of things beer, especially about beer here in the West Virginia market. So, Aaron, how are you finding the availability of West Virginia beers here uh, in Charleston in the early summer of 2023? Early summer so far. I've, I've definitely found some variety, which, which I like and I'm excited for. You know, so often in the beginning of summer, you, you see a lot of different styles pop up, and that's been fun to see. Mm-hmm. And joining us today for this discussion is Jamie Farrell, who is the bar manager at the Short Story Brewing Tap Room in Charleston, West Virginia. Jamie, welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads. Thank you guys for having me today. I'm excited. So, Jamie, you helped open up this new location of Short Story Brewing. Um, That was late last year, as I recall, wasn't it? Uh, Yeah, so we opened the week of Thanksgiving. So uh, we did a soft opening on Tuesday, Wednesday, and then, of course, we're closed for Thanksgiving. And then on Black Friday, that was our grand opening day. So um, I think that we joined the Charleston Brewery scene just at the right time before the holidays Mm -hmm. to really kind of start things off and kind of get our name out there. Yeah, so I guess we're about six months in then to uh, the taproom being open here. Yep, six months in. It's been a great six months so far, and um, Short Story as a whole will be turning six months this uh, summer. So, you know. Yeah, and I just uh, want to remind people that the main operations of Short Story are in Reevesville, West Virginia. That's in northern West Virginia near Fairmont, and they've been up there, like you say, now for almost six years. Yeah. Um, You know, Charleston used to see our beer some in distribution, Mm -hmm. and unfortunately, we kind of had to cut that back to focus on production up there. And, you know, we opened a second location that's up near Deep Creek Lake in Maryland. Mm -hmm. And so this is location number three. So, you know, we wanted to get back into the Charleston market, and, you know, that way people down here could enjoy our beers too without having to travel. Because a lot of people have said, oh, I've heard of Short Story, but, or I've had their beers at a festival, but, you know, it's nice to finally actually have a location here. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, uh, so the Deep Creek uh, location, I actually went to that. I've only been there once, but have, have you been there? I actually have not. Okay. Uh, we've laughed about it and said that we need to take a trip up there. Like Aaron and I, Aaron wrote, the you know, owner here. Sure. Um, he was like, we should totally go up there and give those guys like a weekend off and just hang out and work some. So, and see what that side of it's yeah. like. Because that's, that's kind of, I would think, more of a tourist type location just because of where it is and the type of people in that area. Yeah, it's very seasonal. You get a lot of, you know, the ski, snowboard traffic in the winter sure. and then they get all the boat traffic in the summer so um i say it should be they just actually um expanded to their summer hours this past week so they're open an extra day and open later on the weekends too well we're definitely excited to have short story here in charleston as you said i definitely remember getting it when it, you were somewhat in distribution and being excited about that and then suddenly it was all gone and so yeah, it's welcome welcome to, to be back in the oh, Charleston yeah. area. Glad it is. It's nice to have Short Story here regularly now, in uh, not only uh, here in this tap room, but, of course, in other parts of the state and even in Maryland, like you said. So we're sitting right here in the tap room, and, Jamie, you were nice enough to give us a 
beer to sample from your great menu of short story beers. You want to explain what we're trying here? Yes, yeah, so we just brewed this again. It's an IPA that's regularly in our rotation. This is the Infinity Plus One. It's a hazy American IPA. Um, six and a half percent, I believe. I guess I should have looked at that before. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Quite tasty. Um, Close enough. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we've had this one. This makes the second time that we've actually had this one on draft here in Charleston. Um, it's been fairly well received. It's got some really nice... Uh, character of a little bit of citrus, a little bit of lemongrass. Um, I think they used mosaic, galaxy, and a couple other hops. I can't remember off the top yeah, of my head. Yeah, very nicely dry hopped. Uh, this beer I know has been out off and on for a while. They made it several years ago, I believe, and that was in sort of like that. What's that Disney movie? The Incredibles, and it's that Infinity Plus One is from a. I thought it, from a it, Disney uh, movie. That is um, Toy Story. Right. Oh, it's a oh, Toy it Story. Buzz, Toy Story, Buzz I, which I should know with my children, but Buzz, yes, Buzz, Buzz, Buzz Lightyear, Lightyear. yes, yeah. oh, Infinity that's what it was. Yeah, Infinity Plus One. Yeah, Infinity, yep. Infinity good call, plus Jamie, one, right. good call. Yeah, well, you know, my, my yeah. Disney uh, movie knowledge isn't always the best, <laughs> but uh, I knew it was something related to Disney, and uh, uh, anyway, this beer, not the, I don't know, maybe they should serve it at Disney, because it's that good, it's a, it's a really nice. Well, Jamie, I, I just... As we said, you've been here working for six months or so at this new tap room in downtown Charleston. What's it been like? I mean, what's that experience been like? Because I don't think that you've managed a whole tap room like this ever before. No. Um, I actually got really lucky being able to have the opportunity to come here and help open up. Um, I had seen that Short Story was opening a Charleston location, and I had um, emailed them you know, a resume and said, hey, I'm you reached know, out pretty early yeah before you know it was still in the early stages there was still a lot of construction going on and did whatnot, you actually know so. the, the Aaron and, and his sister or, or mm. the co-owners prior to that no I had never met um, any of them before so just blindly um, reaching out yeah so I just sent an email a resume and um, you know <laughs> just hoped for the best and so one day Abby called me and she was like hey, I'm in town with my brother, and we would love to sit down and talk with you and do an interview, you know, if you would still like to work here. And so I was like, sure. And like four hours later, I was sitting here in the tap room, which was still largely unfinished and still had a lot more to be done before we opened. And so then uh, the following week, I came in and I helped Aaron kind of finish up with all the final construction, and we laid floor and stained, I don't countless numbers of boards and wood and you know put all the final touches on the tap room and of course uh, Aaron and Abby are the brother and sister team and also Abby's husband Mike is the head brewer yes and developed all these wonderful beers that uh, short story is brought to our market now, I just wondered uh, though getting back to when you were thinking about applying for this job here I mean what got you started in craft beer what's your background before you were here so I've always just been a very very um aficionado if you would mm -hmm. um, with all things craft beer I can remember the first time that I had Sierra Nevada Pale Ale down in North Carolina many many years ago um and that was kind of my gateway beer into the world of craft and back in that time there wasn't really a very large market of craft beer in West Virginia I don't right. I actually I believe that you couldn't even get Sierra Nevada Pale Ale 
in West Virginia at the time because of our laws. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been nice to see the the development that's gone on in the state and how far we've come and where we are now. But you know, I've always loved beer. Always been passionate, and um, I actually thought about you know going to brewing school, and I gave the Bridge Valley program a shot, but unfortunately that program you know didn't stay around. Yeah, yeah, it kind of they had some issues that needed to be worked out, so it kind of dissolved. So I didn't continue on with that. But. So you're you're not only interested in in of course managing and bartending, but also in the making of of beer, the brewing itself. Oh yeah, I, I've brewed countless batches of beer at home for years and years and years. I've probably got every book that the brewer's publications <laughs> ever, you know, put out. So <laughs> so you read what you can get your hands on and, oh, yeah. and have dabbled in it yourself. That's yeah, great. Absolutely. And if I remember correctly, didn't you help uh, brew a batch of beer for short story? Yeah. So um, I went up there back in, I think it was early January, and uh, we brewed a stout. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one that we did the uh, coconut. There was one, we did two varieties of it. We split the beer into two batches, but we did one that was conditioned on coconut. And then the other was conditioned on, um, it was our Mexican hot chocolate mm. um, stout. Cocoa. Nibs. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Cocoa mm. nibs, chilies, nice. a little bit of cinnamon. Yeah. So, Aaron, you've watched this craft market develop here in Charleston and in our region of West Virginia, mm-hmm. you know, breweries like short story coming to our town, uh, that weren't, you know, originally here or from here. Um, it seems like we've come a long way. I'm just curious though, you, for your observations a little more on, uh, what you find impressive about where we are now here in downtown Charleston. Uh, for me in particular, I think it just availability, just, you know, not only the tap room that we're literally sitting in, but, you know, we have a new a new brewery. Um, Fife Street, of course, is, is on the same block as Bad Shepherd and now the Short Story Tap Room. So just availability, but not just in a physical location, but um, distribution in our local retail areas. That has expanded so much, including growler fill stations and, you know, cans to go. Uh, the, the availability and the choice that's there for consumers now is just more than tripled. It's, it's so much so in the last 10 years. And I'm very impressed with that, and I feel like it's received a lot of support, and it's obviously something that customers and beer drinkers want to see. So that is what I'm happy about in this particular area as far as growth. Do you agree with that, Jamie? Oh, absolutely. Um, I can remember back when Charleston Brewing Company first opened Mm -hmm. down where Bad Shepherd is now. Mm -hmm. You know, it's been many, many years. Ten years, I believe now, right? I I mean, if, if not. Exactly, to yeah, very, very close. Very close to 10. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I remember going down there and having, like, the Raj and all oh, those yeah. old <laughs> classic beers that were so good. I mean, and, you know, it's... So exciting. It, yeah, I mean, and it was huge because it was like, oh, my gosh, there's actually a brewery in Charleston mm-hmm. now. And then, you know, unfortunately... So much time passed. It took us, you know, almost nine years to get to where we are now. Right. So, you know, it was... It's really incredible and exciting to be a part of, you know, the growth here in Charleston, you know, because you had Fife open uh, May of last year, you know, they just turned a year. So, mm-hmm. you know, and for us to open six months later, so that's pretty big for Charleston. Yeah, it's impressive here. Uh, three breweries right on the same basic block of Summers Street in mm-hmm. downtown Charleston. And I know they're calling it now Brewers Row. Uh, maybe, uh, Aaron, could you 
tell a little bit about what Brewers Row is? Yeah, for for any of our listeners that aren't already aware, Brewers Row is a program that's collaborative between um, Bad Shepherd and Fife Street Brewing and Short Stories uh, Tasting Room here in Charleston. Again, as Charles said, all on Summer Street, you get a passport, and if you sample three beers from each location, you receive a stamp from each location, and then once you have your passport full, you get a collaborative glass that kind of earmarks the Brewer's Row collaboration, which is a very cool glass, by the way. It, it's very similar to a can, um, but it's got the insignia from from each brewery on the glass. And, of course, it's part of Brewer's Row that's supported by Charleston. It's a pretty cool way, I think, for people to enjoy tasting different beers at the different locations and, and at the end of it say, hey, I, you know, I participated in this and here's my glass. So people like that. They, they like to be a part of something like that. And I think especially those people that travel for beer, they're very much interested in that because they want, you know, something to as like a, a keepsake or a take home to remember from that experience. So I, I think that was some very good marketing as far as the city of Charleston and, and the breweries that are involved in that. Yeah, so we've been getting uh, some all, a bunch of new beers over the past year or two in, in Charleston and in southern West Virginia and really across West Virginia, a lot of them. Um, I'm thinking like uh, not only uh, the West Virginia brewers, you know, more of them coming available, but uh, people like Ohio brewers, mm-hmm. you know, Jackie O's, Ryan Guys, 50 West, mm-hmm. uh, others. So yeah, burger. We, we just got um, Urban Artifact yeah. mm-hmm. that does, you know, a lot of really good sours, Equilibrium as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's exciting to see that breweries outside of the state are wanting to you know get their footprint in Mm -hmm. west virginia and you know become a part of the craft beer market here as well and i think that's great because we certainly are are not up to par with i feel like our our surrounding region when it comes to craft beer and the progress at at least that they are at as far as distribution and in different selection and number of breweries etc you know charles and i've talked so many times the per capita for breweries in a city, you know, we are so far behind that. And so it's, it is nice to see those breweries from different areas that want to get their beer here and, and have it here for us to purchase. Yeah, and I'm hoping we get a little rivalry between Charleston and Huntington, between those two metros, because you know, it used to be Charleston and Huntington both had like one brewery each, you know, and like for years, you know, I'm thinking we got to have more breweries here. We're not really on the map. And uh, now we've got like uh, three or four, you know, if you count the outlet here for Short Story in downtown Charleston and all, and then we've got... Uh, Still one in Huntington. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, they're getting behind. We, for now, for now. Yeah, we got to get over there. I mean, the, the Peddler in Huntington is a wonderful brewery. They are. They, Their beers are mm-hmm. great, but man, they need more. Um, they need more breweries in Huntington. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And well, and one thing this area definitely does is support each other. I feel like as far as like the the brewery families themselves and different businesses, they're all very supportive. Like it's it's welcome competition. It's not something that. They don't want so I feel like they definitely would support that. Yeah, as well. I don't. I don't even know if I would call it competition, really. And that was the mm-hmm. whole idea of the the Brewers Row concept was, you know, so many people would come in and they would say, "Oh, you know, it's really brave to open up a spot right beside, right beside of another, you know, brewery." And it's like. Well, funny fact is they were the ones that actually told us about this space it, and yeah. said, "Like, hey, you know, we can, you know, set, you know, up a." time for you to you know see it so you know it's it's nice whenever you've got three breweries on one block and all three of them are supportive of each other mm-hmm. I mean I can tell you I go visit each of the other you know the two 
and I see people that work at both of those locations coming here. Sure, sure. So, I mean, there's definitely a nice, um, you know, family that we've created basically, Mm -hmm. you know, within the industry. And it's just really nice to see. Well, yeah. yeah, And it's not just the industry, you know, uh, breweries themselves, they create jobs, they bring money into the city, you know, tourism. It's something you can advertise. It's, it's not just about the brewery family. It really is a good thing as far as economic development itself goes. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think Aaron, you were, you and I were in here last Friday evening and, uh, I saw half the, well, probably <laughs> more than half the owners from Fife, from down Fife, the, yeah. Fife Street down the street. I mean, their brewer was here, uh, their families were here, and everybody is, you know, camaraderie sharing a business, uh, mm-hmm. and they're not, you know, just thinking it's competitive. we got to comp- oh, compete. Oh, no, no, It's very supportive so, yeah, all around. That's what's been so nice about this. And I think it brings up a, a thought, and I mentioned, you know, Huntington proper only has one brewery, but there is a second brewery right now under development in Barbersville, which is, you know, on the Charleston side of Huntington. It's a, just a couple of miles outside of Huntington. Anyway, um, Jason Beter down there that has a, several good restaurants is opening a, a brewery, and his son is going to be the brewer. Mm-hmm. And so he's been up here working yeah. with Ross working at, with Ross, at yeah. Bad Shepherd and also with Bill at uh, uh, Chestnut Brew Works in Morgantown. So these other breweries are training a new brewer that's going to be, mm-hmm. in a way, a competitor down the road. I mean, but it's just nice, that camaraderie that these people all want to work together to build this industry. And Absolutely. I think that's what makes it, one of the things that makes it so strong. Absolutely. It's not like this, it's this huge secret that we're not going to share with you. It's, hey, you know, let's let's learn from each other and let's help each other grow and, and help the whole area itself become a better craft beer area as a whole. So what do you guys think about how our local market fits in with the national craft beer market? I mean, if you travel, and I think we all travel some, you get away from here. What else, what's, what are the similarities between what we're selling here, what people are drinking here, and maybe some of the differences you might see? Uh, Jamie, I'll let you start with that. So, you know, from my observations and traveling and going to different beer festivals in different cities, uh, hazy IPAs are, to me, still seem to be leading the pack as far mm-hmm. as what the consumers are wanting the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been really nice here in the past couple of years because it seems like lighter styles of beers like lagers and pilsners, Kolsch and everything, those have been starting to make a real big comeback and they've started to become a lot more popular mm-hmm. with consumers and with brewers. And I know, you know, from the brewing side, that's what a lot of brewers would prefer to mm-hmm. drink most of the time. They, mm-hmm. they don't want to drink a hazy IPA every day. They just right. want like a really nice clean lager or something. Right. So, you know, it's, it's nice to see that those styles, you know, the old styles are starting to make a comeback. Um, you feel like that's it coming back as much in our area? Cause I, I, I only ask that cause I personally feel like we're, we're still not quite there as much as other areas. As not as much. Um, I mean, and it's, it's funny because, I think majority of people in West Virginia prefer a lighter style of beer mm-hmm. that has a little bit of less, you know, hop flavor and aromas and characters. Sure. Um, yeah, I agree with that. So it's it's really funny that, I mean, in West Virginia breweries, from what I've seen, are great as a whole. I mean, usually, you know, there's 
cranking out some loggers or some light styles here and there, but um, I'm surprised that they're not doing more. Right, of right. Those that's kind of and what I was implying. Is yeah, I, I, I feel mean, like we're not quite there yet. Yeah, on that trend, maybe. Yeah, I think there's a, and this happened across the country, one just in West Virginia, but there's a difference in what when brewers are getting started, like early on in their brewing skills uh, development, of what they like to brew is often beer with flavor, you know, and they want. Uh, the IPAs or the big stouts, they, they might, you know, gravitate more to that than they do just the plainer, more simple beers. Then as they develop over time, and even as a market develops, because often the people that jump into craft beer are going crazy over imperial stouts and, you know, big double IPAs, and it's the kind of thing that gets the attention. Then five years down the road, their taste, they have, they start drinking craft loggers, you know, they're drinking. <laughs> yeah. Getting they're, back to the flagships. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's funny from the brewing side too, though. Um, it's harder to brew a very nicely executed lager that's just really crisp sure. and clean than it is to brew an IPA. Mm-hmm. You, you can hide some off flavors or, you know, some unwanted Art of the flavors, <laughs> you know, in an IPA or something like that, that has a lot of big, bold flavors versus something that's just really crisp and clean. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, so, that's a good point. Aaron, you agree with uh, some of those thoughts we've just been saying? Oh, I do. I, yes, I do. Absolutely. I, I agree with that. And I also think that, you know, brewers and breweries themselves, you know, obviously they have a schedule they have to keep. They have a certain amount of beer, not, not necessarily amount, but styles that they repeat and keep on at all times and then that's got to interfere with their process too you know yeah. especially if you don't have a consumer demand for that lager or that pilsner you know it does take more time to brew those particular styles or can and so that's got to interfere with their schedule what they want to put out and you know the whole, the whole back and forth with the the supply demand it, it definitely is a real thing and I think until the the consumers are very clear about wanting to get back to those flagship styles, I don't think we're going to see that in the near future anytime real soon. And I think it's really partly, too, just the development of the whole craft beer industry because, you know, 20-some years ago, whatever, you know, brewers were competing against big beer, which was all, you know, know, pale lagers or light lagers, Mm -hmm. and they didn't want to ever touch that area. They didn't want to brew a lager. Now, so many good, really top-quality craft brewers, almost all of them across America, mm-hmm. and some in West Virginia are brewing really good lagers, mm-hmm. including, and I, you know, we'll get into that a little bit later, but including Short Stories got a, a good lager here. But I want to save that for just a minute and um, move over to more of that's the beer styles develop. I mean, we've seen in uh, – like we were saying, you know, the ascendancy of IPAs and now the hazy IPAs. Uh, what do you think it takes to make a popular style? I mean, why do we have style trends? Do you have any thoughts on that, guys? Hmm. I feel. How do we get started? I'm going to let you start, Jamie, and then, then I'll chime in. <laughs> so, you know, I've honestly never really thought about it. Um, I think sometimes you'll get a brewery that does a style very very well and they gain um you know national attention for it Mm -hmm. so others follow suit and then everybody else decides to do it so it's kind of like the whole you know hazy ipa you know craze you had to get into the sours (laughs) um but you know you got 
Trillium and Treehouse up there that were kind of, you know, oh, the yeah. original breweries that started Hazy's. that whole hazy, you know, Another half. craze. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so people across the country decided like, oh, these beers are really good, but we can't get them. So, mm-hmm. you know, people would line up for a mile at Treehouse to go buy beer and then mm-hmm. they resell it and ship it to across the country. So then, you know, other breweries got on board and said, hey, let's mm-hmm. start making this style of beer. So following suit with the big boys. Yeah. Or the ones that initially got very popular based on that style because they were doing it well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That know, makes sense. Jamie, you spend a lot of time, I'm told, in Asheville, North Carolina, which is one of our great beer regions of America. Um, could you talk a little bit about what you think makes that market so popular, even to you today, and uh, maybe some of your favorite brews and beers and breweries there? So the market in Asheville is very diverse. Um, I think they're, they have over 80 breweries in the Asheville area wow. now. Think about that I per mean, capita. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I, it's one of the... <laughs> that is just impressive. It's, it's one of the most, you know, saturated, sure. you know, markets, you know, in the country, sort of probably like Portland or somewhere. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy, but... You know, if you go from brewery to brewery, they, a lot of them have certain things that they excel at very, very well. But but um, unique to that brewery, not necessarily the actual all of Asheville. Right, right. yeah. Um, you know, one of my favorite breweries down there is Burial. No, oh, everybody's. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, I don't think that anybody <laughs> ever has anything bad to say about those guys. <laughs> no. You know, but they're, they're cranking out a lot of hazy IPAs. Um, but then they do a lot of other styles very, mm-hmm. very well, too. They mm-hmm. do... A lot of stouts, they have an excellent sour program. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of barrel-aged sours that they'll, you know, age for one to two years. And, you know, that's a thing of patience, and it takes time. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so, and it's it's really interesting, too, to see the trends um, outside of West Virginia because Burial, for instance, they have started another um, arm of their business, and they have started to brew ciders. And they have also started to do wine as well. Um, Interesting. Their, their their wine cider branch is called Visuals. Still owned by the same people, but they've decided to kind of venture out into those markets as well. Branch, branching out to all craft. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so there's a couple other breweries down in Asheville that have kind of followed suit, and they're starting to brew more ciders. Or um, there's even places that are brewing like ginger beer. There's a place down there called Ginger's Revenge, and they have like eight different flavors of ginger beer on draft. Hard, yeah. hard ginger beer. It's like 5% usually depending on the style. Hmm. But it's interesting to see the, you know, trend almost away from beer, mm-hmm. even though that it's a beer-heavy market, but, you know, finding other places that are doing alcohol-forward beverages. Like, what um, can we do to differentiate? Yeah. yeah. So they're trying to get a little bit creative and different. But, I mean, here in the past probably month, there um, there has been one new brewery to open in Asheville, and there's another one that's scheduled to hopefully open here within the next month or so, too. So, so they're still growing. They're not growing at the rate that they were. Oh, of course not, but they're still growing. But, you know, it, it's it's interesting to see just how saturated that market is compared to West Virginia because oh, yeah. here we only have, what, 30, three, uh, 33 breweries, I think. Something like that. Something, right yeah, it's like but, the yeah, 30s. But, and they but have that's over, in our entire state, and you're right, talking about a city. Right, <laughs> and they have over 80 within, you know, their, you know, yeah. immediate cities well, so bur- burial is definitely one that i i really enjoyed i also enjoyed um the thirsty monk 
I, I like the like Belgian beers and um, just different style. Um, of course, you know, there are certain iconic places you have to go to when you're down there. But oh, absolutely. Are there other breweries that stood out or stand out to you when you when you frequent there besides what we've already mentioned? Oh, yeah. Um, downtown. Um, they're kind of newer. They just turned three this year. Um, Dissolver. Mm-hmm. I've heard of Dissolver. Downtown. They're mm-hmm. doing some really great stuff. Um, they do a lot of IPAs. They do some sours. They do stouts. They've got a really nice lager program, too. They actually um, have invested in a couple lagering tanks. Mm. So they have um, usually two or three lighter options on draft year-round, which they're also canning and, you know, doing a little bit of distribution and stuff, too. Nice. Um, and then they also have started to do, and I hate to admit this, but they've started to do some seltzers, and they do them <laughs> very, very well, because um, I'm always like a beer guy through and through. But their seltzers that they're doing are still, you know, fermented. They're not just taking alcohol and adding it to carbonated water. They're okay. actually doing fermentation in-house with those and Generally, those are, like, very heavily fruited, so they're not coming out clear and watery. They have a little bit of mouthfeel to them, and they almost drink more like a sour versus a, you know, just a carbonated general hard seltzer like you see, like Mm mass-produced. And, Jamie, you mentioned a couple of breweries making a lager or two. Uh, One I like down there, just right on the very north edge of uh, Asheville downtown, is the uh, Zillicoa, which has featured now so many wonderful lagers, which... They started out making these, like, farmhouse beers. Well, those aren't the biggest sellers. I mean, I wish they were because they're one of my favorite styles. But they moved into lagers, and that place has just got exploded, I think. Uh, That's another place that I love to stop by first, you know, especially, like, my first stop into town coming down the interstate. Um, And it's a beautiful location they've got right there on the river. And right. funny thing about them is when they started, they originally didn't have a brew house. Um, they were going to another brewery. Like contract and, brewing. Yeah, they were doing contract oh, brewing. Wow. And then they would have to ship their wort back to, you know, their site. Oh, that there. sounds like a challenge. And then, you know, like transfer it into a tank to allow it to ferment and then, you know, get their final product. But, you know, they've invested some more money and been able, you know, because they've been very well received. That's good. And I mean, I've not had a bad beer from them i mean everything has been phenomenal and you know every time i've been there they're always crowded too so it's nice to see a brewery that's just focusing on those styles mm-hmm. yeah you know they don't have like a hazy ipa they don't have you know some they're not going with all the trends yeah no. no i mean they're just sticking to you know those old styles and they're executing them very very well and it's really nice yeah. to see a brewery that's committed to doing you know that kind of beer i so. think to some extent that's uh uh feature of a more advanced craft market where certain breweries can specialize especially in a larger population area mm-hmm. or like they are which are all also with tourism big tourism for the beer but yeah they can breweries can when there's 70 or 80 or whatever 90 sure. in the region they'll specialize in different things to draw a crowd mm-hmm. i mean if they just have the exact same things everybody else does sometimes you know that's not a good marketing strategy or a good business strategy i don't know i, I but i think you'll see though in a place as large as uh, as asheville is in the beer world that you know we can watch and see beer trends there maybe before they come here you know they're not as likely to be here because we're a much smaller and, and less diverse market. I don't know. 
I would agree with that, though. I think that you can definitely sort of see it transpire. And we may or may not go through it, but if it's going to be here, it's probably there first. Yeah. I mean, it's great for West Virginia because even though we're really tiny, it's wonderful that we're so close to other big markets. If you live in our area, I mean, you can get over to Columbus and you can get to Cincinnati and you can go to Asheville or Charlotte. And these are big markets for beer and um Jamie, do you get around to some of the other markets beyond Asheville? Oh, yeah. I go to Columbus, um, Lexington, because mm-hmm. Lexington's not too far. Mm-hmm. Um, right. My aunt and uncle used to live just right outside of Charlotte. Which they've, oh, okay. moved, they've moved since then, but, um, you know, there's a lot of great places in Charlotte as well. You've got, like, Noda, Noda and Heist. Mm-hmm. All, um, all easily reachable from our area. Yeah. yeah. They lived, like, two miles away from um, D9's you know, original location, which was really cool. So, I mean, it, it's nice to be close to some of those markets. And, you know, I wish that we would get a little bit more distribution from some of those places. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah, it's an easy weekend trip or something. Sure, you know, sure. So. It, it is. It's just it's a great weekend trip. And, and just like I'm kind of envious of the folks that live like in Morgantown or Wheeling because, you know, they're an hour and a half or hour from Pittsburgh, and that's mm-hmm. another incredible craft mm-hmm. market that's right on our border, practically. And, you know, we don't get many of the Pittsburgh beers either. Uh, no. and, and, and it's just, they have so many good breweries. They have probably 50 in the city there that are just, uh, you know, not all of them wonderful. But, man, within that 50 or 60, whatever, you're going to find some really, you know, some real stellar brewers. I laugh yeah. because I actually remember, and this is obviously a while ago, but I remember when West Virginia started getting yingling, of all things. Not exactly super, you know, individualized, but I was like, wow, we're going to have yingling. Like, it was this amazing thing. I mean, this is how small we are, right? <laughs> that oh, I, yeah. I truly remember how excited I was. But anyway. <laughs> uh, we still have yingling. We do yeah. still have yingling <laughs> yeah. for those of you that want it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> And the Brewers Association uh, calls it a craft uh, brewery. They, so, they uh, do. It is a, an independently owned uh-huh. uh, brewery that's not, uh, you know, that does focus just on a, on a handful of beers. Anyway, mm-hmm. we're going to take a short break, and I think, Jamie, you've got us another beer. We're going to pour. We're going to come back and talk about that beer and get into a little more about the story of short story brewing here in Charleston, West Virginia. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. Okay, we're back at Short Story Brewing in downtown Charleston, West Virginia. Wonderful tap room for these guys. And Jamie Farrell just poured us another beer. Jamie, what are we going to be drinking here? So I've got you guys the Argonaut, Mm -hmm. which is our Hellas Lager, Mm -hmm. which is a great seller here at the tap room. It is a favorite amongst staff and bartenders and brewers alike. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really nice, it's lighter style of beer. It's got a nice, nice bready flavor, little sweetness on the finish. Just kind of really lets the malts shine through. It's not, you know, overly hoppy or anything like that. So it appeals to a lot of people. Clean and uh, crisp, for sure. Clean and crisp, mm-hmm. yeah. It's about five and a half percent. I think it's five and a half, yeah. And I can see it as being one of the best sellers because it is one of those light beers that maybe somebody new to craft beer doesn't really know what they want to try, and that's always a good starting beer for someone in that yeah. P- position. Yeah, and I know a lot of people that kind of say, you know, if they're into the 
more flavorful beers or big malty beers, whatever, or big hoppy beers, they get to these kind of hellish lagers and they kind of think, well, you know, it's it's not wonderful. I mean, it's good. They drink it, but they don't appreciate the beauty and the complexity mm-hmm. that's in this beer. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, it, it, you just got to dial yourself back. It's not going to knock you down with big flavor and alcohol. That's not what this beer is about. It's much more subtle, but in that subtlety, it has many different uh, vast facets. Agreed. It, it's quite complex. Oh, it, yeah. It, great flavor. And and it's, it's funny just, you know, from my experience of drinking beers and, you know, we talk about trends and everything, you know, I find myself personally going back and enjoying more lagers and pilsners and, you know, lighter styles of beers versus the... IPAs and imperial yeah. stouts and everything, boys. yeah. So well, I mean, I, and it's it's it is a craft lager. It's not going to taste like we were just talking about Yangling. I mean, like their basic lager. It's not going to taste like a, a light beer. It does have flavor. It does have complexity, and that's uh, that's to me a real accomplishment for this brewery. For short story, this beer has been well. They've probably made it what three or four years, or maybe or a while. Oh yeah, it's definitely been in the rotation for years. Yeah, I mean, and but, like but I it's said, so we tr- good. Yeah, we we try to keep it on all the time because it is so popular. Um, across all three of our tap rooms, actually, I mean, I'm not exactly yeah. sure if it's the number one seller. If you look at sales, um, I know. Here, it's funny, our sours are actually the number one seller in Charleston, but, you know, the Argonaut is number two, so. So what do you, do they have some big tanks they devote to this beer? I know at one point they had a special lager tank, but I think they've no longer using that one. Yeah, we don't have the lager tank anymore. We, um, so we have a 10-barrel system, but we do have one 20-barrel tank. So, you know, after they figure out the brewing schedule for a few months, they'll decide whether, you know, they want to do like a 20-barrel tank, you know, double batch of Argonaut, you know. Because um, the only downside to brewing this style of beer is it takes time. much, much longer. Yeah, yeah. Time. It takes us about six weeks start to finish to do a lager versus the, you know, two weeks it would take to do yeah. You know, an IPA. So or you're something. talking about the lagering aspect after the beer is fermented. It's four or five weeks further, just in a cold tank, yeah. storing it, lagering it, just doing the, the lagering yeah. process. So, and and that's what it. You know, you you've got to do that in order to get this end product that is you know very just clean and crisp and just refreshing, and it doesn't have you know. Right. Yeah, the, the lagering process takes that long because the yeast are kind of cleaning up the beer, and it just takes a long time at that colder temperature to allow that process to happen, so that way it's just really nice and crisp and clean and easy drinking. It's a very um, quaffable beer, as you mm-hmm. would, you know, mm-hmm. might put. So. Yeah, and I think that's something that a lot of uh, just average kind of beer fans or beer drinkers don't really understand is the amount of time, the extra time it takes to make a good lager, that, that lagering time those weeks means that you tie up those tanks. And that's, we were talking about maybe earlier that, I don't know if I mentioned that or not, but that some craft brewers don't even make lagers or they used to not hardly make any lagers uh, 20 years ago because one reason was that they took so much time and they would tie up all the space. tank space and they wanted to be making these quick turn ales that they could make in 10 days or something mm-hmm. and, and get them out on tap and start making money. And if you had to tie up your tanks for four to six weeks more or something, you know, man, you, it was harder to make money. Sure. Oh, that's yeah. got, that has to make a big difference. And 
um, kind of one of the thoughts that I have, you know, with this new tap room here in Charleston and of course, you've got Deep Creek and you've got the main um, production facility. I definitely have a question regarding like production itself. And, you know, you've the volume of, of beer that's coming out of Short Story has obviously tripled from since the beginning. But the actual equipment has not changed. It's the same equipment, mostly. Um, but, you know, so much more volume is coming out of that. So how would you answer a question as far as how how are you all adjusting to that as as far as production and making sure each each area has enough beer I know earlier on in this conversation you said obviously there's no distribution anymore I'm sure that that's why but um, can you talk about that a little bit yeah so I mean they've they've definitely we've had to cut back on accounts um, you know distribution wise there's still some that uh, see our beer regularly that we've had for years and years since, you know, we first opened. Mm-hmm. And um, I think those would mostly be probably in the Fairmont Morgantown area. Yeah, and that, that's correct. So like any beer that we do uh, distribution uh, wise is you know, close to the brewery. Like I said, longtime customers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely opening a third location has put a little bit of a strain on the brewery. <laughs> um so they're basically, you know, as soon as something gets packaged, they're like cleaning and then brewing like in the next day or two. To Not wasting keep, any time. Yeah, yeah, like, I mean, tanks are constantly full of beer no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the discussion has been had that we might need to expand the brewery a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've asked that question before, and I'm, but I'm glad to hear with, you know, the kind of cash flow that, that you're seeing here with uh, beers not sitting around, they're selling fast. Boy, that would help finance uh, an expansion if that's what the owners wanted to do, and I sure hope they do to get a little more beer into the market. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny. People are like, well, you know, why don't you open up a brewery down here? And it's, you know, prior to this past legislative session. Sure. You know, West Virginia breweries were limited to only one production facility, right. So, right. which yeah. that just changed this year, fortunately. But, you know, it costs a lot more to put in a second brewery than what it would to expand oh, what sure, we currently for, have. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the cost of a production facility versus a, a, t- a tasting or a tap room is, is yeah. I'm sure, very different. Oh, yeah. So, you know, two hours is not that terrible of a drive, you know. Um, it's definitely doable. Oh, yeah. And we've got enough people that, you know, now that we can, you know, have somebody meet halfway, way. you know. Yeah, even. so shorten it even So that way more. you don't have one person having to drive four hours one day. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it makes it easier on everybody. So. Well, so let's do a little deeper dive into the short story brewing products. Uh, guys, and i get both of you to answer this. What do you think it is that makes short stories, juicy, hazy IPAs so outstanding? Hmm. There's definitely a demand from the consumer, so that always helps. <laughs> sure, sure, but what creates that demand is, uh, I think, the main question. Yeah, so, the flavor. How do they get all that flavor in there? I mean, they, these guys, I, and I've said before, they're they're on par with a lot of the good uh, hazy IPA brewers from around the region. Um, that, that Mike and his crew, if they're brewing, but what is it, you know, can you quantify a little bit of it. what do you think it is that makes them so good i was say mike and cody are definitely doing a good job with everything um they are very very meticulous mm-hmm. and they are very very careful from you know every step of the brewing process start to finish and so i think whenever you take that much care and you have that kind of passion and drive to create 
that final product, you know, it, it really definitely helps out in the end. Um, I know that they are there five, six days a week, putting in long hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's nice that, you know, Cody's kind of stepping up and he's having a little bit more freedom and he's created a couple beers that have been pretty successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's talk about the flavor a little bit. I mean, about the way they taste in the mouth. I mean, that makes them that such fun. Well, yeah, I, I want to say I feel like I, they have dialed in their recipes. Oh, you yeah. Know, w- whatever they developed for that recipe, for that, that specific, say, hazy, it is, it's not only dialed in, but it's repetitive. They're able to recreate it exactly. It's not, they don't change out the, I'm assuming anyway, from a connoisseur standpoint, they don't, they don't seem to, to mess with their recipes. They're not changing out their hops. They're not, they're not switching out their ingredients or swapping unless I imagine there's some sort of emergency. But basically, they're able to recreate exactly that product, and it's always going to be the same. You're always going to be able to count on that flavor. Yeah. And yeah. it's there. Consistency it, is definitely key, yeah. especially this day and age. You know, if you can't can you know, if you can't make the same product consistently, right. people eventually they will figure that out. Sure. And they'll call you out on it. They'll say, Well, you oh, know, yeah. I had this beer, you know, two months ago and, you know, it's not the same now. So Yeah. yeah. Well that and that that'll happen. In any craft brewery, sometimes uh, just about you know it does it, it can happen, but sure. right, it's not something you want to happen very often. Right? Yeah, but they've they've got a nice rep, um, nice relationship with all of our suppliers for all of our malts and our yeah. hops and our yeast, and so you know we always make sure that you know if we brew Chasing Daylight, then we have those hops available before we do that batch. We're not substituting hops or trying right. to you know change any kind of the recipe it, development. You know, I think so. there's probably uh, maybe a dozen different recipes and different beer names, you know, that are brewed in this same kind of what we call juicy hazy style. Maybe a couple of them are double IPAs. Most of them are probably standard IPAs. It's just there's a range that they use the different hop blends or hopping to gain a different character mm-hmm. and they've done such a good job at differentiating those beers i mean the tastes of those beers to me that's been a real accomplishment that we don't see in a lot of our our small breweries i think mike did a lot of um kind of r&d before short story actually opened he was brewing batches of beer at home um he's got a pretty nice little homebrew setup and he did a ton of recipe development there, just trial Prior and error. Before yeah, before, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that was the reason why they actually decided to, you know, open Short Story and go and, you know, operate a brewery is because mm-hmm. they were like, you know, your beer's really good, so maybe we should yeah. think about, you know, pursuing this. Yeah. So, I, I like to mention Mike because uh, he was a home brewer. He did not have commercial brewing experience, to my knowledge, that he worked like in another brewery and learned to make these wonderful hazies IPAs. He he developed these himself, learned to brew them himself on his own on their own system, and has shown that it. I mean, he's he's a remarkable brewer in my book because he just kind of like tackled it and and came to the top. I mean, 
initially, were they as good as they are now? Probably not. But now these beers are as good as the ones that we talk about from around our region, Mm -hmm. whether it be D.C. Market or Philly or Pittsburgh or Columbus or, you know. Boston. Yeah, these guys, well, yeah. Oh, Mass. Yeah. Well, I, I'm saying more local. That's our region. Sure, sure. But, but yeah, I mean, the, and, and that what I like about the beers, they're more true to the hazy, juicy style of the east, the northeast, the, mm-hmm. the Vermont style. Yeah, I these are true hazies, true hazy yeah. beers. And, and there's a variety. I mean, the short stories definitely def- got that niche in their market for the hazies. But you don't get any yeah. of the hot burn. They, they've mastered getting these so smooth and they can they just drink so easily and so mm-hmm. nicely i mean i i can tell you from being up there on brew days that you know everything is very very well calculated um, very meticulous they they it very much so they have i don't know cody he has a brew log for every batch of beer that he's brewed and so and he takes notes every single batch and so you know They've got the hop schedule, you know, for whenever they're adding hops to the kettle or whatever. You know, they're saying, okay, well, we're going to give it 60 minutes. And then, you know, there's a big clock on the wall. So, all right, time is whatever now. And then 60 minutes from that, then we're going to do this or we're going to do that, you know. So it's very managed, very time. Yeah, and I mean. and Product management. I was going to say time and then like temperature control. Mm -hmm. um, You know, like I said, everything is very, very meticulous and. You know, I think that really shows in our end product. Mm-hmm. Well, let's switch gears a little bit now and move over to the sour beers uh, that Short Story brews. And uh, you mentioned earlier, Jamie, that those were the most popular styles right in the Charleston tap room. Yeah, it's funny. Um, so when we opened, we had two sours on mm-hmm. draft. Um, they didn't last as long as what we had hoped because <laughs> there was such a demand for them here uh-huh. in Charleston. And sure. I think that we might have, you know, kind of maybe underestimated underestimated, that <laughs> yeah, the demand here in Charleston for that. And so we've been trying our best to keep up with the the demand here in the Charleston market, especially. Um, because, like I said, it's the number one seller, and then Argonaut's number two. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about, for people that haven't had those sours, describe a couple of the more popular ones. Um, so right now on draft, we have a blueberry and lemon. Mm-hmm. So they use fresh blueberries and lemon um, zest, lemon juice in that. And it's, a, it's part of the Neon series? It's part of the Neon Gardens, yeah. Neon so, Gardens. Okay. so we used to do a sour series that was called um, Fun with Prisms. Mm-hmm. And though that was, we played around with all kinds of different fruit combinations, but those did not have any lactose in them. Yeah, and what and is lactose for, again, for our audience that may not know what so, lactose means in a beer? So lactose is just a milk sugar that you can add to the beer, and it is not a food source for yeast. So if you add that to the beer, it dissolves into the beer, the yeast cannot consume that. So it stays in the beer. And the whole point of using lactose in a beer is just to give it that kind of creamy mouthfeel, kind of round it out, smooth it out. Right. It's a little more body than than what it might have. Otherwise. It does, and you know, even though I say it's a milk sugar, it doesn't really add that much more sweetness to the beer right. per se, because they're adding it to you know multiple styles of beers. You know, breweries around the country use it every day. Yeah. But um, so we found out that you know using the lactose with the sours was kind of a little bit of a game changer, and people kind of preferred those with Over the fruit. Those without yeah, lactose. just to kind of help round them out. So, so what is do you think the the most popular fruit additions? in those sours 
I think the blueberry lemon has probably been the most popular here in Charleston. Um, the other one you have on the Neon Gardens is a, I, a it's got it's the pog. It's the passion guava? fruit, passion fruit, orange and guava. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. mixture. Yeah, uh, that one's really popular. We did a. Um, we call it PBR, be lovingly, because <laughs> it is uh, passion fruit, blood orange, and raspberry. Okay. Um, and then we also... So min- minis with mini. Yeah, we yeah, just like to play around with some different fruit combinations and see... But see all, what have, th- all have lactose. Yeah. Currently, yeah. If it's a Neon Gardens, they do have a little bit of lactose in them. So, okay. But, you know, um, feedback has all been pretty much all popular. I mean... For the and it's nice to have like sours on draft too because a lot of people that don't drink a lot of beer, even you know they're like I don't want a light beer. I only drink wine or something. Sometimes you can give them a little taste and they're like, oh, that doesn't taste quite like beer. So you know it's nice to see that you can kind of introduce people to beer in a very subtle, easy sure. way with a sour or something right. like that too. Yeah, not every beer has to be a double IPA or an imperial stout. You know, something strong or hazy yeah. or even that flavorful. Yeah. Of course, I think the hazies has been another category that's opened up the craft market to a broader audience. A lot of people who weren't into the bitterness of beer drink these hazy beers like the short story styles that are very low on bitterness in general. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure, because you have people that for years and years they just thought of an IPA and they would think of like a West Coast style. Yeah. Right, real yeah, earthy. Bitter, and, bitter pine, mm-hmm. earthy, sure. right. you know, not a lot of those yeah. like tropical fruit flavors and aromas or yeah. whatever. Yeah, so. it's changed the whole profile. And I, I've been entertained at, at times with some of the West Coast brewers. I mean, really good brewers out there, though, that won't give up on that bitterness. And they love, even though they'll they'll use some of the hops, these new hops that are the juicy, fruity ones, they'll still put the bitterness in yeah, those uh-huh. in those IPAs because <laughs> they can't quite not do that. And their market probably wants that. But here in the East, I think we see an awful lot of people who who don't mind not having a lot of bitterness? I mean, there's certainly those that love the, oh, yeah. the bitter beers, but there's plenty of people who don't. It broadens the market to have uh, more, yeah. more stuff. I mean, any of our listeners know that I'm I'm obviously an IPA fan, and I but I like all styles. Um, but but I, I very rarely hear from any of my friends or people that I talk to. Um, they definitely are not as big into what we would term a West Coast style or a you know a piney, earthy, hoppy. They definitely want more of a hazy and you know, I'm, I'm open to all things, but I, I feel like in this area in particular, they're, they're not as much into West Coast style IPAs. Yeah, that's, that's my general um, experience as well. And it's funny, people walk in and they just look at the board and they're like, okay, what's your haziest IPA? Ah, okay. Or, you know, because they were like, I don't want a non-hazy IPA. Uh-huh. And so it's right. like, well, you know, a lot of our IPAs are hazy to start with. But, you know, I can kind of say, well, one might be a little bit hazier than the other. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's funny yeah. just seeing how consumers order things sometimes because they're just <laughs> they just go yeah. on the uh, the appearance versus the actual like hop and right, flavor profile of the beer. So. Right, right. <laughs> I do think it's interesting to hear it, uh, a short story that most of the hazies are a kind of a moderate hazy. They're not the super, super milky usually that you see occasionally out in other breweries, nor are they the ones that are just barely hazy 
and like that all the stuff dropped out of it, like some breweries have for <laughs> yeah. their hazy IPA. But so I mean, they've mastered too the, the idea of keeping it nice and hazy, but you know, it's not milk and it's not you know uh, non-hazy. It's a, you know, they've done a good job. But mm-hmm. let me t- enough talk about these IPAs and hazies. I'm gonna before we close this, I want to get you, Jamie, to tell me a little bit about two or three of the styles that are t- more traditional styles that you also sell here that have found a home here in, 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 in the Charleston market. Yeah. Um, so for St. Patrick's day, we brewed, my friends call me red, which is, you know, our take on an amber ale. And that is actually the first beer that we brewed, um, on our brew house at short story. Oh. Fun, fun fact about that. Yeah. Nice. So yeah. that was our, that was actually our first commercial brew was the red. So, um, Really good feedback, and it was really, really popular here in the Charleston market. And that's another style that you really don't see a lot sure. of out and about yeah. because it's it's not an IPA or, you right. know, it's not a sour. So well, Maybe another couple of fast turners, though, that you get here that are currently in, in on the menu. Outside of Argonaut, because we know that one is a I good I was going to say, like, I mean, when we can keep it on our Kolsch, mm-hmm. um, it turns around really really is that fast cold, cold beer the here? cold beer here yep. yeah our colch mm-hmm. um so we we're trying our best to keep that on mm-hmm. as much as possible um we just had the uh, cloud watcher wheat mm-hmm. it's american style wheat yeah how'd beer. that go over here uh it's been great uh because i it's funny i've we've been here for six months and people come in and they're like oh, i'll have a wheat beer and i'm like well i don't have one currently but you know it's coming so um, and you had a mexican lager Recently, we did we did the beaches of Appalachia, mm-hmm. um, which I think when we first brewed that beer was actually a collaboration that we did with Weather Ground. Oh, okay. Um, years ago, and then we've started to brew it seasonally now, kind of in celebration of Cinco de Mayo. Um, yeah. Anything else coming up? Maybe that you think will be here this summer that's not already been a staple. Um. I'm not sure about new, new. I know that we just had the new IPA come out called Switch Frequencies, which we brewed with an experimental hop. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that was a dynamite beer. I had that. Yeah, beer. that was That's from peach. yeah the peach stone fruit flavors and aromas uh, from the hop breeding company. It's hop number 10, 1019. 1019, mm-hmm. yeah. So there's not actually peach in the beer for those listeners out there, no. but it, you do get peach flavor from the hop. Yeah, massive, massive peach flavor in a room. Mm-hmm. That's the predominant. Yeah, it's a big time, uh, mm-hmm. big time hazy and big time fruity, juicy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot I was complex su- super happy with the way that beer came out. Mm-hmm. So um, hopefully that hop will continue to be popular amongst brewers, and then mm-hmm. we'll see more of it, you know, in the market. But um, I think for the summer we'll probably definitely do more sours. Try to keep those on as much as possible. Um, the beaches of Appalachia, the Mexican lager, it had um, lime zest and then salt mm-hmm. from J.Q. Dickinson here in Kanawha County. Oh, yeah. Um, local, nice. Yep, local mm-hmm. salt. Um, it, like I said, it was super popular, so I think they're actually going to try to squeeze in another batch of it. Very good. Um, Looking forward to that. And then we actually just filled a couple bourbon barrels recently here nice. in the past few weeks so we will have our fell asleep like this that's gonna have to sit back a minute, again though. back again this winter though mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you know that is in the pipeline at least so for, for the people that are asking about that it is in the works so it's just going to rest for a few months and mm-hmm. then we'll pick up those wonderful bourbon flavors we'll uh we'll package it whenever it's ready after it's little slumber sounds good 
And before we close this podcast today, uh, I know here at Short Story Brewing in Charleston, you guys just recently added food service to your tap room, something you didn't open with, but now it's been added. Um, could you talk about that a little bit and how it's how important it is to keeping customers happy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It has been a great success. Um, so when we opened this location, we had a space that we could use as a kitchen, but we wanted to focus on beer at first. So we were like, we'll figure out food later on down the road. Um, luckily for us, you know, Aaron, our owner, is friends with the owner of Lefty's Place up in Morgantown. And so they were having a conversation one day, and the joke came about that, you know, oh, if you ever want to open up a second lefties in Charleston, I have a space for you. <laughs> and the conversations begin. Yep. So, <laughs> you know, Amel came down like the following week and checked out the space, did some measurements. And I think he called, you know, a couple of his other business partners and discussed it and then turned around and said, all right. It's like, I've ordered a bunch of kitchen equipment. It's going to start showing up here in the next few weeks. And so... You know, what just started off as a, you know, kind of light joke became reality. And so now... Um, Mutually beneficial relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, it's been great. They've been open for, you know, just over a week now. And uh, we've had extremely positive feedback. And explain the menu. So Lefties specializes in the Detroit-style pizza, which is kind of a thicker crust. Mm-hmm. Um, deep dish. Deep dish like eight by 10 pans Mm -hmm. and so the cheese and toppings are on top and that's baked and then the sauce is put on top after it comes out of the oven you've got some varieties and toppings for customers yeah they have several different uh preset pizzas and then of course there's the build your own so then you can add your own ingredients and however you want to do it um and then they've also got calzones and then they've got salads and then a few appetizers they've got some Garlic knots, pepperoni balls, and then cheese sticks, of course. Um, so come hungry. So, yeah, come hungry and thirsty. Uh-huh. Well, I tell you, I was in here uh, the other day with uh, some of our local beer club craze members, and uh, Dave Menser ordered a couple of pizzas, and I even I had a slice. Oh, my gosh, that was so good. I was I actually wasn't prepared for it to be as good as it is, and we were all sitting there going, <laughs> It's a nice this, surprise. This stuff is good. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, Lefty, uh, kudos to, to him and, and, and to, to all their, their whoever their cooks are here. Mm-hmm. But they're doing a great job, and uh, anybody wants uh, pizza and probably the calzones and the other things, too, that they're making, uh, come on down to Charleston, Courier Street, for the uh, Short Story Brewing Taproom. That's right. And if I recall correctly, I think they're, you're going to have some online ordering available at some point in the near future, uh, as far is, as Lefties goes. It is actually available now. So oh, great. If you, yeah, Perfect. so if you check out our website, um, there's a link there to Square where you can place an order online, and then you can just come pick it up. Nice. Or you can always call and say, hey, I want this, this, this. And so you then can order you your know. pizza and then come in and get your beer and have your pizza ready. Yeah. And so the fun thing is all the uh, food comes out, whether, you know, you wanted to dine in or carry out. It all comes in a box or, you know, it's packaged mobile. to go and mobile. Yes. And so. Jamie, beyond the, the pizza to go and the food to go, talk a little bit just as we close about your beer to go you i know you have some different packages and ways that people can get 
short story beer here at the brewery and take it take it home. Yeah, so we have a cooler. Uh, it's got cans in it. I think currently I have three beers in cans right now. And then you can also always get a growler to go. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have your own growler already, we will fill that. Doesn't have to be ours, but we do have them for sale as well. It's like five dollars for the glass, and then you know plus the cost of the beer. Um, and those three or four beers that you keep in the cooler, they rotate. They're not always the same ones. That's, that's right. correct. Yeah, it depends. Like usually, we'll decide whenever you know we're. Um, kegging a certain beer that will save so much and do so many cases of cans and then kind of divide those up, you know, amongst our three locations. And just from what I've seen in the six months you've been here, it seems like they tend to often be the IPAs. More so, yes. Um, I mean, we've canned a few other styles. We've canned our Pilsner. We've canned um, our Broad Shoulders, our Dry Stout that we do for St. Patrick's Day as well. Um We've canned, originally when we opened, we had cans of sours, but because they sell so fast on draft, we've kind of stopped canning those, unfortunately. Um, But we're always looking, you know, at what's popular and what, you know, we could possibly throw into a can for people to take out. You know, especially now that we've got pizza, you know, we might have to have a talk and see about maybe having some more cans available for people to take them together. Yeah, sure. Take it all. Yep. I feel like this has been a really great catch up with you, Jamie, and appreciate you taking the time with us today to talk about short story and and just kind of all things beer, including West Virginia and our craft scene here. And thank you. Hopefully we can keep moving forward. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Yeah, we've been here with Jamie Farrell, Aaron McCoy. And, of course, Jamie is our uh, kind of manager of the short story Charleston, West Virginia tap room. Uh, Aaron, of course, is the uh, co-host of West Virginia Beer Roads. I'm Charles Bachway, and thank you guys for listening in today. This brings us to the close of another podcast. Remember, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast host. Thank you for listening to West Virginia Beer Roads. West Virginia Beer Roads is a production of BrilliantStream.com.